Bibles, if you would, go with me to the book of James, to the book of James. I do want to say thank you to those who preached as we were away, and we were able to tune in and, and listen to those, and uh, it's always good. It's always good to be able to go back and to, to listen to those who are uh, called to preach within our church. And I was just talking to Brother Ed this past Sunday, and I was telling him of the, the many that are called to preach within our church, and he said that's a blessing for a church, and it truly is. Uh, and I rejoice in, in those who were able to preach over the last couple of weeks and uh, want to publicly say thank you to you uh, who were able to fill in in the pulpit as we were away. James chapter number 1, if you would, look with me. We're going to look at the first 18 verses tonight in James chapter number 1. If you were to uh, think about the, the, the many great days within the Christian life, it has been said throughout history that many of the great falls that took place after uh, certain victories were the ones that, that are evident throughout history. After great victories in wars or after great victories in even the Christian life, oftentimes that is whenever you will finally or that you will see a, a great uh, battle lost, if you would. You will see a fall, you will see a hardship that has taken place, you will see a trying time, and that is whenever you find many Christians in many situations begin to struggle. And the reason for that is, in, in the Christian life, whenever we finally experience, or whenever we're in the midst of something that God is doing, when we experience a great victory... That is exactly when the devil wants to try to get into the home. That is exactly when the devil wants to try to get into the church. That is exactly when the devil wants to try to get into the preacher's life and try to, to puff up that pride and, and almost say, look at what we have done. Look at what I have done. Look at what has taken place all because of such and such. And that's exactly what the devil wants. And so after a great victory, whenever pride sometimes gets in, all of a sudden you see a fall. You know why? Because God does not like for His glory to be stolen. God does not like whenever people try to rob Him of what is rightfully His. And so we ask ourselves this question tonight as we come to the book of James. James is a very practical book. James is one of my favorite books to read because whenever you are looking for just practical truths to aid you in the everyday Christian life, you can go to the book of James and you will find those things. And tonight I want to preach a message entitled, Enduring After Great Victory. Enduring after great victory. The word enduring, the word endure is seen in the book of James in chapter number 1 a couple of times. And we will go through the first 18 verses and look at these words and some of these key words that we find in Scripture. But endurance is one of those things and it's one of the most valuable things in the Christian life. You think about the word endurance and you think about how the Lord allows us in our everyday life to be able to paint that picture, uh, whether you are able to act in a certain way or participate in a certain thing. You think about a runner. I, for one, am not a runner. I was just talking this past weekend to somebody and I was talking about the obstacle course races that I will occasionally run. And one of the things that I struggled with, the very first race that I ever did, one of the things that I did is I trained for that meeting, but I only trained upper body. I saw the obstacles. I saw the 27 obstacles that you were going to face, and uh, that's the only thing that I trained for, only to realize that I still had to run the seven miles. And so I didn't train for those seven miles. And then my second one, I started to run, but I'm not a runner. I, I don't enjoy running. I know some of you enjoy running. That's not me. Uh, I'm a sprinter. I'll sprint for a little while, but long distance, that's just, that's just not for me. My brother is the opposite. He is, a, he is one who will run and run and run. He's not a sprinter. And so when you think about endurance, whenever you are training for one of those meetings, you're training for the mile. 
You see, in those obstacle course races, there are certain times whenever you are running with the pack. And as you're running with the pack, you're just kind of going through, and it might be a group of about 25 to 30 people, and they're just kind of slowly going together at a certain pace. And you see, you've not trained for that, that step of the, 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 the race there. You're, you're just running. Everyone can run at a steady pace in those groups usually. No, what sets those who win the, the obstacle course races and those who don't is training for that mile when it comes wherever they split out. You see, and whenever we would run these races, you would run through and you'd be in a pack, and then all of a sudden you do an obstacle and every single one of us, that group of 30 would all of a sudden vanish, and you've got about one or two that stick together. And you've got a group of 30 that have now split, split into 15 group, different groups or 20 different groups of one or two people together because you're training for the mile. Whenever we were training in basketball, we would have certain times in the preseason where we were training. And in high school, my basketball coach's philosophy was we were going to run the other team to death. And so when we were training for basketball, what we would do is we'd start out and we would go and we would, we would go out into a big open field. We had a school that was downtown and across the street was the YMCA. It didn't have anything outside except a baseball field. And so we would run around that entire baseball field multiple times. And what we would do is you always had a, a long side of the fence and you had a short side of the fence. And every single time that we would come to that short side of the fence, our coach would allow us to walk. But as soon as we got to that corner of that long side of the fence, you were sprinting as fast as you could. And so we would train, and what he would always say when we were training in, in, in the preseason, we trained for about two or three weeks, is he'd say, you're training for the fourth quarter. You see, everyone can do the first three quarters. That's easy. Everyone's able to, to, to you know, be in the midst of it, and, and you've got a group of people, and it's, it's very easy but in those games that it just as though it was a little more physical, the training for the fourth quarter was necessary. In the Christian life, you see, not only are you training for the mile, you see the Christian life is a marathon. It's a journey. You're always moving forward. You're always advancing, if you would. At least you ought to be. Even in those moments when God says, hey, stand still, you're still advancing. God's still preparing and doing a work within your life in that moment. You might not be physically moving as though you feel as though, hey, I'm getting something accomplished, but God is getting something accomplished in that still moment. You're not only training for the mile, you're not only training for the fourth quarter in the Christian life, but you're training for the daily. You see, the Christian life is a daily life. But the truth of the matter is, we're living in a day and age where we're starting to see more and more, you know, it's amazing to me. I was, looking, I was reading a, a post just the other day, and this, this individual was, was speaking, and they just made a movie. It's an it's a individual who's not real popular. I, I've never even heard of them up until this point, but they made a movie, and the entire movie is about Satan. Now, that in and of itself is sad. But whenever the person was talking to the media, the person was talking and they were being asked questions. Well, most of the time whenever someone's being asked questions, you're going to find that there's at least one or two people who are going to ask a question that we would want to ask. And so somebody asked them a question about Christianity and asked them very simply, are you an atheist? And the individual who, who just made this movie about Satan said, I, I, I used to be an atheist but I am open to Christianity and to God. And it didn't add up to me. It didn't make sense to me. But you see, we're living in a Hollywood Christianity where everyone, even with the foul mouths, 
Even with the lifestyles that they're living, they claim to be a Christian. And guess what? People praise them for it. There are many times I've heard people who will, who look, I, I'm, I love sports, but I've heard athletes who will get on the court and they will say every curse word you've ever heard. And then after the game, you, you, you have a conversation when the reporter stands up, hey, would you like to say anything? I just first and foremost want to thank the Lord for everything. It doesn't add up. You see, the Christian life is a daily life. It's not something that you pick and choose when you want to live it. And enduring is one of the hardest things. And you're enduring for the training for the day. There was a church who recently did a study, and I want you to stay with me. We're going to get somewhere here in just a few moments in James chapter number 1. There was a church who recently did a study, and as they were doing this study, the pastor decided that they were going to do a study for two months without the church even knowing. The study was on soul winning. And what they had figured out is the first month they decided they were going to do soul winning on Saturdays. Typically what you'll see in many churches is soul winning on Saturdays. Sometimes you'll see it on Tuesdays or Thursdays or certain things like that, but pretty normal for Saturday mornings. And they had 8% of the church come out for soul winning. Now you're figuring an average church more, more than likely nowadays is about 100 people, maybe 125, so 8% of that was uh, participating. So anywhere from 8 to 12 people. I don't know the exact size of that church. He just gave the percentages. He said this, the next month what they decided to do is they were going to change it up and no longer were they going to do soul winning on Saturdays. They were going to do it on Sunday afternoons. And you say, well, why would they do that? Everyone's tired on Sunday afternoons. What he found out was there were many of the people within the church who got stirred up on Sundays. And he found out that 24% of the people said we'd go out on Sundays. You say, well, what's the difference? The reality is this, the Christian life, many of us, if we're not careful, we get stirred up on Sundays and then it fizzles out on Mondays. And the Christian life is something that must be lived out on a daily. You see, you ought to be getting stirred up on Sundays and stirred up on Mondays and stirred up on Tuesdays. Don't rely on the preacher to preach a word and preach a a message that's going to stir you up on Sunday. No, uh, allow the Lord to use that message to reconfirm some things that He's already been trying to do Monday through Friday. And on Saturday, as you come into the church, you get stirred up. And He found out that 24% of people said, hey, we'll go out. You know, at the beginning of the year, every single year we have our leadership meeting. One of the things that we have often quoted the last couple of years is, see the need, take the lead. See the need and take the lead. That's not one of our things. That's something that we heard from another ministry and we just kind of applied it, but it's so true. I was having a conversation just a couple of weeks ago, and as I was having this conversation with an individual, me and the individual personally disagree on some things. It is someone that, that I, I will still have uh, you know, fellowship with and I will talk to, but we disagree on some things. And they made the statement, they said, you and your church are too busy. Now, I find that interesting. I said, what, what, do you, what does that even mean? He said, you guys, you, you, guys, you guys never take a break. And I said, truth of the matter is, we're probably not busy enough. He said, no, you guys have so, so many of these ministries. And he said, how many of these ministries ha- have you personally either started or been involved in? I said, well, I try to be involved. I'm not involved in every single ministry, but I try to be involved in as many, if not all, the ministries. I think that's important. And so we got to talking a little bit more, and we got to talking about the ministries. And I said, well, here's my ministry philosophy when it comes to how the Lord works. I said, if the Lord lays upon our hearts 
that, hey, this ministry needs to be a part of Gateway Baptist Church. And we begin to pray, and then the Lord confirms, hey, this needs to be a ministry. Well, guess what? If, if he's confirmed and we don't have someone that's going to start that ministry, then guess who's going to start it? We'll start it. Here's why. Because God's going to provide someone along the way that who will come and say, hey, you know what? We'd love to take this ministry. That's how the church grows. That's how the Lord continues to work within a church. And so I said, I completely disagree with, with, your, with your, your mindset on all these things. I said, if you're always going to wait for someone else to do it, then it may never get done. And in the Christian life, what we're seeing is many, many people are not willing to see the need and take the lead. All they see the need, but that's someone else's need. That's someone else who's going to do that. 2 Timothy 2, verse number 3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The word endure here means to remain, to exist, to press forward. In 2 Timothy 4, 5, the Bible says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse number 58, where the Bible says, Beloved, brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know not that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, that word steadfast means to be seated. It simply gives a, an idea, it gives a perception, it gives a, a, a look, if you were to, to understand, that you need to be unmovable, you need to be steadfast in the doctrines of God's Word, but also in His Word. You see, many people are so fixated on the doctrines of God's Word, but yet one of the key doctrines of God's Word is to be found in the Word, and they won't open the Word. We've got all of this head knowledge, but until it becomes a heart knowledge, it means nothing. You see, our world doesn't care how much Christians know until they understand and see how much Christians care. I can get out into the world and I can tell people, hey, this is what the Bible says, this is what this, 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 this. And until they see, hey, not only is he telling me what the Bible says, but hey, he's living it out and he wants me to experience it for myself. The Bible says also in that verse right there, that word is immovable, unmovable if you would. It speaks of to be firm not to be shaken. We'll get into it here in just a little while and continue to understand some of these things. A preacher was struggling and he, his wife saw that he was struggling and went to this verse in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight and wrote a poem for him. Trying to encourage her husband, she penned these words, When weary from defeat, depression, or death, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. When worried about problems from the past, predicaments in the present, and prospects of the future, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. When weakened like frayed rope, rotted by the sands of time, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. When wobbly and aged like a rickety old bridge over a deep cavern, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. When worn like steel beam, corroded by rust and pressure, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Simply put, when weary, worried, weakened, wobbly, worn, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Notice the last words that are found in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse number 58. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, we've experienced some great victories over this year, if you I would think we would all agree that last year was a hard year across the board. It was a hard year to navigate through. It was a hard year to understand. It was a hard year to, to get things done, to move forward in some ways. But then came 2021. 
And all of a sudden, there was an anticipation, there was an expectation, there was a thrill to see God do something and continue doing something. And we've been able to experience some things as a church. Some of you have been able to experience some things within your home, and you've been able to experience some things within your personal life. But it's not time to give up. It's not time to stop. It's not time to put it on pause and to say, okay, what's next? Notice with me, if you would, what the Bible says in James chapter number 1, verse number 1. Because we will start with verse number 1 tonight. The Bible says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Notice the very first statement that is made in James chapter number 1, verse number 1. We're going to walk through these 18 verses and see what God is trying to show us concerning this idea of enduring after great victory. But the Bible says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, oftentimes whenever you're looking through Scripture, you'll find that the endurance side of things in the Christian life is always being sought after by a servant of the Lord. If you were to go and you were to study the word servant, you will find that 4% of Scripture as a whole uses some form of servant or serving, emphasizing this idea, this, this understanding of being a servant. Matter of fact, 119 times alone in the New Testament it is dealt with. The word often used is in the context of doulos. And it speaks of three things whenever you begin to study the servant, if you would. And as we continue to move forward, we're going to get somewhere here in just a few moments. This word doulos speaks of three things. The first thing that it speaks of is it speaks of desire, if you would. If you were to study this idea of servant and serving 119 different times in the New Testament, 4% of Scripture, this word speaks of a desire. It's one who voluntarily is aiding someone. It speaks of a bond slave. It speaks of one who is willing, if you would. It speaks of one who is able, but also willing. When Brother Jeremiah was here and the Hicks family was here, one of the things we were talking about was that idea and that, 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 that understanding of someone who is willing, but unable. Then you have some who are unable, but they're willing. And he said one of the things he was always trying to get his, his soldiers to understand and get them to that place was that they were willing and that they were able. Well, sometimes in the Christian life, we are willing to do something, but we are unable until someone comes and aids us and helps us to understand the serving part of that area. You see, right, right after I had gotten saved, I went out soul winning. Now, I had never been out soul winning before, and so to say that I was, was unable would be a category that I filed myself under. I was willing, but I didn't know what to say. Matter of fact, the very first time that I went, I was knocking on a door, and it's the very first time, and I stumbled over all of my words. I couldn't even get it out. All I was wanting to ask is, if you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? I don't have a clue what I asked. But he looked at me and said, are you, are you trying to ask if I'm a Christian? I said, yes, sir. He said, I am. I said, praise the Lord. Number one, first one's out, out of the way. You know, but I was, I was unable the time until someone took me along and said, hey, let me, let me show you what the Word of God says. Let me, let me show you a, a simple plan of being able to introduce someone the, the, what the Word of God says in the gospel and getting them to understand their need for Christ. He, when we were talking, he said, we're trying to get people to understand that they need to be willing and able. Well, this word concerning servant speaks of a desire, one who is voluntarily serving. It speaks of a dedication. That dedication, if you were to go and you were to study this in history and in, in, in Bible times, you will find that they were bound to their master. 
Now, they were a bond slave. They were one who was willing and voluntarily, but they were bound to them. They were always there. As a matter of fact, it is said that the only thing that would break that bond is death itself. And so they were always there. They were always willing. And then the final thing is it speaks of delight. This title, doulos, is is used to describe a position, if you would. Now, we look at the word slave now, and it is not used in the same context as it was in Scripture. We look at it as a a, a negative connotation. And in Scripture, we see some things, and as you see this title here, it was a position of honor. And one of the greatest things we find in Scripture, notice this Bible verse here, in verse number 1 of James chapter 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, he and Paul saw themselves as bond slaves to the King of Kings. You know what it looked like right here? Lord, I'm at your disposal. Lord, whatever you have for me. Lord, I don't have a clue what it's going to be. I don't have a clue where you're going to send me. But Lord, I'm free. Lord, I'm yours. Lord, I'm willing. Lord, I'll do whatever you have for me to do. Paul and James both saw themselves as servants to the Lord. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 5, when it says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. You see, one of the great things about servants, if you would, is whenever you are given completely to the Lord, all of the focus is taken off of you. Has there ever been a time in your own life whenever you, were, you knew the Lord was trying to get you to a place, you knew the Lord was trying to, to guide you and direct you, but you kept making excuse after excuse? God's trying to get you to, to serve as a Sunday school teacher, and you might make the statement, I can't, I can't speak to children. I can't speak to those adults. God's trying to get you to, to be active in this ministry over here, and you say, I just, there's someone that's way better at that than I could ever be. Here's the truth about when it comes to serving, and when you come to realize that when the Lord is working in your life, God has something specifically for you. James says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice these three things, and then we'll get into the bulk of the message tonight. James and Paul understood three things as we lay this quick foundation, that they were separated. In Romans chapter number 1, as you go there with me for just a moment, I want you to look at these three verses, and then we will come back to the book of James. In Romans chapter number 1, we see as he starts out, the very beginning of this this book of the Bible, and notice what he says here. Paul... A servant of Jesus Christ. There it is again. He wasn't anything. As a matter of fact, James, Paul, Timothy, Nehemiah, you could go to the Old Testament and look at some of these individuals. They didn't see themselves as anything. But they saw God as everything. The Bible says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Notice this next phrase. Separated under the gospel of God. You see, servants understand, and we ought to all understand this, that we are separated. We ought to be separated. You know, there, there, there's, a, there's a great deal of emphasis placed on separation for a purpose. Not only did they see that they were separated, but notice with me, if you would, go to, with me to 2 Timothy for just a moment. In 2 Timothy, you'll also find that they were strengthened. They understood that their strength did not rest in their own abilities or what they thought they could do, but it was of the Lord. And in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 17, the Bible says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me, notice the next phrase, and strengthened me. And strengthen me. Paul understood this. James understood this. Others that we're going to deal with here in a few moments understood this idea that the Lord strengthened them. Then go with me to the book of Philippians for just a moment. In the book of Philippians, verse number 19 of chapter number 4, they understood that their needs were always supplied. 
God was always present in the work. The Bible says in chapter number 4, verse number 19, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So now as you make your way back to the book of James, and we've laid this foundation, how can we endure after great victory? Many of you have served and have been a part actively in certain things that have taken place this summer. You say, well, I haven't gone on trips or I haven't done this. Well, if you've prayed, you've been actively involved. If you've labored in prayer, you've been actively involved. And I believe every single one of you that said that you were going to pray has prayed. And so notice with me, if you would, three things that we see tonight, and we'll be quick. The Bible says in verse number 1, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. You see, as we're going to understand that we must endure after great victory, that the job is not finished, that all that God has for us is still in front of us. Hey, I rejoice in the past victories, but I don't park in those past victories. I look forward to the the victories that are ahead, and I, I love what God is doing right this very moment, living in the present, looking forward to the future. Notice with me, number one, we must remain patient. And we must remain patient. If we're going to continue to see God do all that He desires to do, that we must be waiting on Him. It's very easy whenever you start to see God work in the midst, and maybe He's working in your personal life, or maybe you see Him working in a certain regard, and you're saying, okay, I want to see more, and so you just jump out there. No, 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 no. Hold up. Sometimes we just need to stop. Sometimes we need to pause, and we need to say, Lord, what's next? Lord, what's next? Lord, how are you leading? Lord, what do you have for me? You see, if we're going to remain patient, we must stop and stand still. We must think on some things. And we must reflect on some things, if you would. Reflection is always a great thing for us. You know, we think about, oftentimes, if there's ever going to be a time when we reflect, it's always going to be in the month of November. And you think about Thanksgiving, and everyone starts to think about all that God has done. But hey, in the daily Christian life, we ought to reflect on what God is doing. You know, I look back regularly, and, I, and I, I've said it many times from the pulpit, and you've probably heard my testimony and what the statement was that changed my life and who was preaching and all these many things. You know why? Because it's real. It was something that radically changed my entire life. It was something that from the, from the very moment that I got saved, I saw that God had something for me. And I said, Lord, I want to be given to whatever you have for me, and whatever that meant, I was willing to do. I remember whenever I surrendered to preach, I remember as I was, was a little nervous about it, and I said, hey, I think the Lord's calling me to preach. I think the Lord's calling me to the ministry, and I surrendered to the ministry, and I've never once looked back and said, I wonder what I'm missing. You know why? Because I'm not missing anything. As a matter of fact, I'm experiencing what I never thought I would experience, a much greater life. And as we continue to think about all that God has for us, we must sometimes just stop and remain patient and say, okay, God, what's next? Well, on the calendar... Tomorrow's next. You see, it's very easy to always look ahead and we'd say, okay, well, uh, what's next on the calendar for us? Okay, the generation and generation youth conference. No, 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 no. You see, if we're always looking for the public meetings, 
but never willing to invest in the private meetings, then we're missing it. You see, God desires that whenever the public meetings begin to take place, that we've been meeting with Him in private, and all of a sudden the overflow is experienced. There have been times in my own life whenever I went into a, a, a church service. I remember there were a couple of special meetings that had taken place in college, and I remember we had a special emphasis place, and there were my freshman year, I didn't take it quite as serious as I ought to have. Sophomore year, I took it a little bit more serious, but my junior and senior year, I really got serious about some things. I began to prepare myself in a, in a completely different way. And I'll tell you what, from my freshman and sophomore year to my junior and senior year, the way that I prepared my heart and the way that I got alone with the Lord in prayer, I'll tell you what, there were certain services that I was sitting there and I was saying, wow, what a Savior. What a God. Why? Because it was all about the preparation in the private time when I got alone with the Lord. And then all of a sudden the private time began to overspill into the public meeting and you began to see all that God had been doing in private. We look at the calendar we say, well, the next thing is our generation and generation. No, the next thing is tomorrow getting alone with the Lord and saying, Lord, deal with me. Speak to me. Reflect on a couple of things. I want to pass these six things on to you quickly. Reflect on your salvation. It do you good tomorrow morning as you wake up to reflect on your salvation. Just start by saying, Lord, thank you for saving me. Because we don't deserve it, but he's grateful. Man, what a God we have. Reflect on your Savior, the personal walk that you can have with him. Reflect on your season right this very moment. I don't know what season of life you're in, but I do know this. God's good through every single season of our life. I've experienced the worst seasons of my life, and I've experienced some great seasons. I'll tell you, God was good in both of them. Reflect on... Answered prayers. That'll always encourage you to keep praying. Reflect on the scripture that God brings to your memory and think on it hard. And reflect on the blessings in your life. You know, if you were to sit down right this very moment and write out the blessings, you'd be there all night. You'd be there all morning. You'd be there a while because we have too many blessings. Notice with me what the Bible says in these verses here. In verse number 4 it says, But let patience have her perfect work. As you remain patient, you stop and you stand still. But in verse number 5, the Bible says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. You see, as we stop and we stand still and we're remaining patient, waiting on the Lord, as we come to that place in our lives and we say, Okay, Lord, what's next? As you come to that place in your life and you say, Okay, Lord, now I want to see what's next. It's a great deal of pressure placed sometimes on ourselves. But if we were just to say, Lord, I want to come to you and seek you. Seek your will. Seek what you have for us. We seek Him. Notice with me, number two, not only to remain patient, but realize the path. Realize the path. Look at me in verse number eight. The Bible says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If you were to go through Scripture, you'll find a couple of individuals in Scripture who understood that there was one path, and that path was always following the Lord. If you were to go and you were to look at Moses, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse number 27, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. It was Paul who said in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse number 4, But in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God, and much patience and afflictions and necessities in distresses. It was Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 10, the Bible says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. John in Revelation chapter number 1, verse number 9, the Bible says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is in Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
In each of those verses that I just read to you, the word endure, the word patience that is used is speaking of a patient endurance, if you would. You say, we've, we've had a long summer, I just can't go any further. Yes, you can. You say, I just don't feel like it. Keep pressing on. You say, I just don't have the strength to go. Well, don't rest in your own abilities. Rest in the strength of God. You see, we could go and we could make all the excuses as why we don't have to endure any longer. I don't agree with any of this person's lifestyle. I don't. I look back and I see some things, but I do agree with this statement that they made. I believe it was Kobe Bryant who in the NBA Finals was asked a question one time. I believe they went up 3-1 into a Finals and the reporter asked a question and he made this statement. He said, job's not done. Can I reveal to you tonight why we can't give up? Because the job's not done. You wake up tomorrow, souls are still searching. You wake up tomorrow, people are still in need. You wake up tomorrow, God still has a plan. You wake up tomorrow, God still has a purpose. You wake up tomorrow, God's still wanting to advance. All of these many things. The job is not done. I'll share with you a story. A runner making his way in a 15-meter race. He was racing in this race, and as he came upon the two and a half, mile, or two and a half laps left, he was tripped in the race. As he got up, he looked ahead and the the entire group was ahead of him and he just determined that he was going to make his way and try to to, to catch back up. The entire crowd is cheering for him as he makes his way back into third place. There was no way he could catch first and second. They were too far ahead at this point. But as he was just 20, 20 yards away from ending the race, he looks over his right shoulder. As he looks over his right shoulder, he realizes that there's nobody there. Now, at this point in the race, he's not going to get first, and he's not going to get seven, but the top three would advance. And so in his mind, he's thinking, no one's right there, I'm good. Twenty yards away, he begins to slow up, only to realize that there was someone to his left who right at the last minute came and passed him. As you were to look back in that story that is told, and the the history of that event right there, you're not going to find his name in third place, because it doesn't matter. You see, the job wasn't finished, but he thought it was. And in the Christian life, far too many Christians are looking over their right shoulder and saying, I'm good, only to realize that the job is still ahead of us. Hey, you you say, "How, how much further until God takes you off this earth? The job's not finished. You see, that word double-minded speaks of doubting, speaks of hesitating, it speaks of something that is fickle, something that is wavering, something that is uncertain. The word unstable means, and it speaks of not nailed down, restless if you would. But in Hebrews chapter number 12, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience." The race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God, of the throne of God. It was in Joshua chapter number 24, where you remember the story, and He looks at him and He says, Choose ye this day whom you will serve. But then He later on says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's in Hosea, chapter number 10, verse number 12, when it says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. The saddest part about it is many Christians continue to break up the fallow ground on Sunday, 
only to re- let it come back to what it was on Monday. Listen, it's, it, it, we've got to get to the place in our, our, our society where Christians are being seen as people who are getting done, uh, the, what jo- the, the job that God has before them and get, taking those things serious and saying, hey, we're not done until God says we're done. Look, we've got a, we've got a, a generation to generation youth conference. We've got a, a VBS day and then school starts back up. Then we've got special meetings on, on Thursdays. Then we've got an anniversary service. Then we go into a busy season. But hey, it's not about what's on the calendar. It's about the personal relationship that we have with our Lord. You see, we've got to get to the place in our own personal lives where we stop looking, at, looking for revival meetings to get stirred up. I've come in contact with people before who said, Yeah, I just, I just want a revival meeting. Well, why? I just, I just need to be refreshed. Well, get in your Bible it's not about all of these special meetings. It's as though sometimes we think some fairy dust is sprinkled on these special meetings that is going to get us stirred up. That's not how God works. God works as He deals with us through His Word and in prayer, and He says, hey, I've already prepared what I have for you now. We see the final thing tonight, and I want to encourage you in this rest in place. Verse number 12, the Bible says this, Blesses the man that endureth, temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Notice that first phrase. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Can I share with you the temptation right now is to stop. Oh, it's been a great summer. We've seen God work. That's wonderful. But I'll tell you what, I want to see God continue to work. Oh, we, we've had a great 2021. The Lord's, we've seen souls saved. We've seen people coming to church. We've seen families join the church. We've seen, you know, my, my, my home has been strengthened. I've seen all these things. That's great. But God's not finished. Can I encourage you right this very moment to endure after great victory? I believe that some of you have been praying and you're right on the cusp of seeing another great victory. And guess what you get to look forward after that great victory? Another great victory. And guess what you get to look forward to after that great victory? Another great victory. I know a great victory for Brother John and Miss Elisa is Jude just recently getting saved. Talk about a victory in and of itself. Talk about hours of laboring and prayer. Talk about God putting on some parents' heart to pray for their child. And many of you have seen your children come to know the Lord as their Savior. That's a great victory. But guess what? Another great victory for them would to see Jude being raised up in a, in a great home and in a great church and serving the Lord with his life. And after that, another great victory to see him continuing to live his life, loving the Lord and serving him with all the days of his life. You see, there's always another great victory. We have to change our mindset to saying, well, something terrible must be coming around the corner now. Even, even if it does, God's with you through it. Can I share with you tonight, endure after great victory. We see that we must remain patient. We must realize the path. Stick with God. We're singing a song at our Generation to Generation Youth Conference entitled, I'll Stick to the Old Stuff. I don't know if any of you have ever heard that song before, but it's a wonderful song. And the truth is, we must stick to the Lord, what He has for us. And then the final thing, we must rest in Him personally, in the place that He has for us and what He has for us today, what He has for us tomorrow. Can I encourage you, don't give up. Don't stop. Continue working. Continue pressing on. Endure after great victory. Lord, we do thank You. Lord, I pray that You'd be with us. That You'd help us and guide us. That You'd direct us. I pray that You'd help us to endure. 
In the midst of it, Lord, it's always a little bit easier, it feels like. When the task is accomplished, when the goal is reached, when the blessing has been received, when the prayer has been answered, sometimes we feel the need to stop. Lord, the job's not done and it won't be until you take us off this earth. Help us to press on, to move forward. Lord, the work that you've done and begun in these young people, Lord, continue it. Lord, the work that you've done and begun in the homes, continue it. The work that you've done and begun in this church, continue it. Lord, may we find ourselves tomorrow waking up and saying, Lord, I just want to have a personal, private relationship with you. May we wake up on Friday, same concept. Lord, may we live out the Christian life the way you have it designed to be lived out. Endure after great victory, and after another great victory, and after another. Help us to rejoice in the past, live in the present, and long for the future. Lord, may we find ourselves yearning for more and surrender our all. Lord, help us to be the servants that Paul and James and Timothy and others were. Here's my life. Take it. Do with it what you please. Guide us and direct us, and we'll thank you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.